Are you ready? You're listening to Living Limitlessly with Marta Taylor, where information will lead to inspiration, motivation, and your transformation to health, happiness, and abundance. And now, here's NT. Hi everyone, I'm Marta Taylor from livinglimitlessly.com. Welcome to today's podcast interview. Our guest is Kit Lachlan. Kit has a long and impressive resume. He's been a TV director, he's a qualified massage therapist, he's trained in shiatsu and traditional Japanese exercise, which I can't pronounce, but I'll let him do that, has a background in research and is the creator and founder of Stretch Therapy. Today, Kit will talk to us about stretch therapy and mobility. Welcome, Kit. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm deeply appreciative. Now, let's start with talking about stretch therapy. So can you give us the background of your story that led you to developing stretch therapy? Well, I'll, I'll give you the background that actually led to me developing the name. Um, because what we used to be called, and we worked, we operated under this name at the Australian National University for 27 years, um, where we ran a huge range of classes, both in strengthening, mobilisation, and and stretching techniques. We used to run about 35 classes a week. We had a team of, at the at the biggest number, we had about 18 teachers teaching for us, all of whom um, I trained myself. It was an incredible facility and, and an incredible vibe to do with the classes. The, the classes that we ran there were actually the most popular classes that the sports union ran, and they ran hundreds of classes there. Anyway, that's not to blow my own trumpet. It's just to say that what we were doing there was considered very exciting, and people, I'm not exaggerating this, when, when the classes became available um, for enrolment at the beginning of the year and midway through the year, um, there was often a hundred people outside waiting to get in to make sure that they could get into the classes that you know that, that were taught by their favourite teacher. And that's how these things go. When, when a certain amount of momentum manifests, then all sorts of things become very easy, and it's and it's it, it was lovely and an immensely creative period too because I was doing I did my master's degree at the ANU at that time, and I also had five years fully funded PhD research as well. But anyway, what we call it stretch therapy because and this is a very I think this is a very how should I say it's emblematic of our times. You try and say P A N D F, which is posture and flexibility. dot com. dot au over the phone, and no one can hear the difference between F for foxtrot and S for Sierra. They just can't hear it over the phone because the bandwidth is too narrow. So constantly, my partner and I were saying, "No, not not P A N D F, P A N D F," and no one could hear the difference. And so. When it came time to change the name, I thought, oh, look, we've got to do better than this. So I stood down on a street corner in Melbourne and I said to about 20 or maybe 25 passers by, I said, look, if I said to you I was a stretch therapist or that I do stretch therapy, what would that mean to you? And everyone said, oh, I guess you help people's problems with stretching exercises. And that's exactly, that, that was what we were trying to get across. Ha having said that, some of our people think that the idea of therapy um, is a slight negative because the, the suggestion is that you would have to have a problem in order to need therapy, but that's not actually the case. Um, it actually just makes people feel good. And the main reason why people join our classes is because their friends told them, look, I work at a desk all day, I'm an academic or whatever it is that they do, or an IT person, I'm data entering all day, and the, the highlight of my weeks is to go to these classes because no matter what's going on in my life, when I finish the class, I feel absolutely sensational. And we realise that 
although it is true that we work with elite people, gymnasts and dancers and other people who are super flexible, um, yogis and so on, to help them get over their particular physical obstacles, the fact is the stuff that we teach is far more useful for the average person to help them simply feel better in their bodies. And we, our tagline on our site is something like um, grace and ease in the body and efficient movement. Now, I mean, grace and ease in the body doesn't sound like much of a, a thing to aim for, does it? Except when you ask people how they're actually feeling on any given day, you find that most people, they've got problems here or they've got, they bite, you know, clench their teeth at night time or they, you know, every now and again their back problems flare up or they've got a calf muscle that doesn't, that's not happy when they run. That's what our stuff is about primarily. Yeah, that's very interesting. And actually, I don't think I've told you the story about how I came across stretch therapy, <laughs> which no, is a little bit funny, and I almost don't want to admit to it, but no, uh, over the last, <laughs> I will, I'll tell you, over the last few years, as because I've been practicing yoga probably since early 2000, so 2001, and you know, as I did my yoga practice, of course, I improved. But I did find that I just got to a certain point where I would stop because in my mind I had visions of if I did yoga for so long I would be able to do the splits. I could never do the splits as a child sure. but that after I'd done it for so long that I was surely I would be able to do the splits and that's not what happened and I even did Pilates at one point. But So what happened is that I just got stuck. I just found that my hip flexors weren't going to go past a particular point and I did a lot mm -hmm. of emotional work on it etc. And I had in my mind a vision that there must be some kind of therapy where you did yoga and did the yoga poses because I also find that just because you go to a yoga class and there's a teacher there, especially if they have a large number of people, they're not focused on everyone's individual alignment. So, mm, you know, I would, I would get frustrated with the fact that I couldn't get that attention to align me correctly. So I had this vision that you could do yoga but have a massage therapist who would actually massage your particular areas that were stuck to help you get into that, I guess, stretch into that posture more. And yeah. so this was just floating around in my mind for years. And then one day I happened to be watching trashy reality TV <laughs> and it was the WWE fighters and or WWF, whatever they're called. It was Total Divas. And one of the guys who's the top um, fighter, he actually had a stretch therapist come to his house to work on his injuries and yeah. I thought, geez, that sounds like something that, that's what I've been thinking of the past yep. few years. And so in that minute, I googled it, it was like, a, oh my god, it exists. So I googled it and came across your website and oh, read up about it, yeah, and then that's how I started going to the Sydney um, studio. So it's funny that, um, yeah, that I just, how I came about it, but I think what's important, what's important for me about stretch therapy is that it does exactly that. It's different to how I envisioned it about, you know, just standing in a posture and being massaged and mm. I'll let you talk about the particular technique in a little bit but it is therapy, we all need therapy, even if people who think they don't need therapy on their bodies they actually do. Mm. Um, and it was interesting that you said it's about moving with greater needs because, I mean, I don't, I feel like a baby elephant sometimes. So. Uh, I'm still waiting for the stretch therapy to kick in and give me that you're grace. Still waiting, you're still waiting for the grace and ease to manifest. Ta-da! <laughs> it will, it will at some point. Thinking that you've raised so many um, points in what you just said, I just want oh, to speak ahead. about one, one or two of them. Traditionally, 
traditionally yoga was never taught in a group group setting or, or uh, in, to, to, pick, to more than one person at once. In fact, up until the modern era, and I classify the beginning of, of Mr. Iyengar's yoga becoming popular and also Patavi Joyce's Ashtanga yoga becoming popular, until the modern era, so let's say 50, 60 years ago, traditionally, and for the, all the, the rest of the history of yoga, which is probably four or 5,000 years on the subcontinent, um, teachers only ever work with one student at a time. So when Mr. Iyengar's system was exported to the West and it became so madly popular, you might recall, literally explosions, yoga studios starting up here, there and everywhere, um, and it, that continues today and the same with Pilates too, and we'll talk about Pilates in a moment because there's, there are so many misunderstandings about firstly where Pilates came from and what it's supposed to do for you. But the difficulty with working in a group class situation is that if you have class numbers greater than a certain number, and it's exactly what that number is I'll mention in a moment, it is not possible for even the best teacher to individually correct people's position and actually help them with their individual problems. Having said that, what we've done with stretch therapy is something quite different to how normal yoga classes are taught. And when I say normal yoga classes, of course, I'm glossing over. I mean, there are hundreds of different schools of yoga these days, all with their own presumptions and starting points and techniques and so on. And some some schools of yoga, as you know, don't do physical postures at all. They do their, they do devotional chanting or whatever. But, anyway, but leaving that aside, when we when I talk about yoga and when you're talking about yoga, we're talking about hatha yoga, the physical postures of yoga. Um, in our classes, let's say we're talking about a pose, um, well, the tailor pose in, in Sanskrit is called Bhattakonasana. Let's say we're talking about the tailor pose. Now, in our classes, we have assistance techniques for the tailor pose that will get people's knees down onto the ground normally in four or five or six weeks. It's really quick compared to how yoga is normally taught. And basically what we've done is we've found that there are various things have to be in play in an individual's body and in a class situation for, for these, for these, if you like, secret techniques to be accessed. One of them is that the body has to feel comfortable. Now this might sound truly simplistic, but it's not. For example, in Bhattakonasana, where you have the soles of the feet together and you're trying to get your knees down to the ground, if your knees are a long way off the ground, the groin area feels threatened. And it doesn't matter how hard you push or how much you try and relax, if the body is experiencing physical threat, it will protect itself. And most of the tension that people experience in their body is either protective tension that's manifesting now because of what you're trying to get the body to do, or a lifetime of habit of protecting yourself for all sorts of more subtle, more general reasons, like a general feeling of anxiety about life or, you know, a whole raft of different things. So what we Using the same example, the Vatikanasana example, what we do is if someone is really tight in that pose, we get them to sit with their back up against a wall, which means they don't have to take care of that part of their alignment. And we actually roll up a couple of soft mats or use a couple of cushions or pillows and put them underneath the outside of the legs, between the outside of the legs and the floor. And I've seen this, honestly, I'm not exaggerating this, we've seen this happen on thousands of workshops. As soon as people do that, straight away the legs go down by themselves. Now it might only be a centimetre or half an inch or sometimes it's more, an inch or two. And then once we do the contractions, which are our second way of working with the neural system, there's something called post-contraction inhibition reflexes, three major neural reflexes in the body. So we then, we do some, we press in different ways and push and pull in different ways. And then we find that if we work with the breath following that, 
take a breath in and then gently use the muscles, the actual bottom muscles on the outside of the hips to open the hips even further, we find that normally people will get in a single session a two or three inch drop in the height of their knees. And this, this has amazing effects on the person's psychology because straight away they can see, oh God, look, the system's working. I can feel, I wasn't able to do that three minutes ago, I just couldn't do that. And now look, look where my legs are now. And the whole, the attitude to working with one's own body, which is all driven by the ego, of course, all of a sudden the body's not in opposition to you. It's actually working with you somehow. We, and what we say in our system is that all the different positions and techniques that we use, they're really just little challenges, little ways of communicating with the body. And if we listen carefully, the body will actually tell us which way it needs to move. So some people need stronger contractions. Other people need more gentle contractions. Some people need more support underneath the back of the legs. Some people need none at all. Some people need someone to stand on their legs to get enough force in the muscles to, to signal to them that they're strong enough to let go of the protective tension which otherwise manifests automatically. And what this does, there's an area of the brain which no one ever talks about but has been written about extensively in the last 15 years and it's called the somatosensory cortex. When we cannot do something, it's because the map of our range of movement, that is what we've done in the past weeks, months, years, that map which is hidden to us, we can't see it and we can't directly access it, that map is actually what constrains our range of movement. The techniques that we use, the neural techniques, physical techniques and psychological techniques that we use are all ways of communicating with that part of the brain. And it's not an exaggeration to say we use muscles, tendons, ligaments, skin, fascia, everything to communicate with this part of the brain so that it gets remapped and the experience in the body is, oh look, my knees were up here and now they're down here and it actually feels comfortable. That is gold. That's yeah. what we do. I mean, I definitely, it's something that I noticed when... I go into the classes and and I think mostly it's because and it's probably a point that I think is worth you talking about is the actual contract and release concept because mm. the minute and I, because over the years I've had a lot of stress and tension in my neck and shoulders and that's where a lot mm. of my headaches would come from and, sure. and this was part part of the reason that I was always thinking about not just my yoga poses postures and going deeper into them but I had, you know, the resistance in the neck and shoulders. So I remember doing one of your videos online, which is on YouTube, and we'll give all the the mm. links later. But I remember you talking about, you know, now push against your head, you know, have your head to the side, now push mm -hmm. against it and do that little contraction. And then amazingly it just releases and so easily goes so much further. And I think that's that's the... The, the payoff that you actually can see progress which I think is what people need to feel like that they're getting somewhere but then as a byproduct of that you're still getting you're getting that um, feeling of uh, from the release that oh I can I just feel so much better I feel so much easier and it yes. and it's moving so much better the the mantra in our work is no unnecessary tension now of course if you think about that and I, I'm, I tend to approach things from a logical perspective because that's my background in academia. I'm an ex-logician. I worked in human ecology for many years and these two things are very interesting ways of looking at how the body works. The, before I make the point that I was going to make, something else has occurred to me and it, this, this might help. 
our work has shown us that the that the the Buddhist determination that the mind is lying to you all the time is actually accurate. The mind <laughs> is lying to you all the time, but it's not lying to you maliciously. Let me let me just give you give you an example, and you can try this while we're talking if you like. If if you turn your head as far as you can to one side, you'll get to a point where your body immediately will say to you, "That's as far as I can go." So you stay in that point, and I'll just talk you through this. You just just feel this yourself. So you're at that point. And your body is saying, I can't go any further, right? So you take in a breath now, and as you breathe out, turn your head a bit further. Yep, there it now, goes. Now, now that point, again, feels like it's a real barrier. It feels like that you can't go any further, but just try this. Just relax your shoulders and take in another breath. And as you breathe out, watch this. Your head will go further still. Yep. Now come, now come back to the front. We normally do this three times, but for the sake of our viewers, we'll just do it a couple of times. Now watch this. Turn your head to the right again. You'll feel it'll go straight back to that end point, and it will feel exactly as it felt the first time when it stopped. Your mind is lying to you. No malice there. It is simply your mind can only reference the proprioception which is governed by the somatosensory cortex as map of what you do, not what you can do. You come to the end point like this, the tension yeah. that stops you is protective tension because the body thinks, ah, I'm at the end of my range of movement. You are because that's all you ever do. But if you go further, the map gets remade instantly. So our there's an old saying, you've heard this saying, you can take a horse to water but you can't make it drink. Now, that's that typical dualistic thinking that, that, in, that infects all of our thinking here in the West. But how about this? You can take a horse to water and you can contrive to make it feel thirsty. That's what our work is all about. That's what our work is all about. So you get to this point here, the brain is saying to you, oh, I can't go any further. You take a breath in, next thing you know, zip, head goes further. And in that moment, if you're paying attention and we direct our students' attention to what's happening inside themselves as the number one thing for them to concentrate on while they're working on their own bodies, all of a sudden you've just made contact with part of your subconscious mind. You have access to somatosensory cortex and for some people that's an absolute aha breakthrough moment. They think, oh God, what else? What else have I been mistaken about? And the, the answer is actually a huge amount once you start looking closely. This is immensely exciting because People, some people experience this moment as a complete liberation, come off their shoulders and thinking, oh God, all these burdens that I labor under, how many of them might not actually be accurate at all? Look, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's an amazing way of working with the body and incidentally this is totally consistent with yoga too because we, we have plenty of our um, people who practice stretch therapy are actually yoga teachers or Pilates teachers or bodywork practitioners or whatever and all they do is they incorporate these techniques in their work. And I, look, I'm certain that all we're doing is discovering things which previous generations have already discovered. Of course, there's nothing new in one sense in our work at all. It's just as different to what most people are doing today. Anyway, yeah. I, I interrupted you and it's a bad no, habit. Okay. <laughs> it's your interview. You can do whatever you like. What I did want to ask when you're talking about that sensory perception, hmm. is it true to say then, because of course, just because you do it once, it doesn't go back that I could do it again. If I didn't do it again for another few days, I could turn my head again, it would get stuck at a certain point. So, I mean, 
is it fair to say that you have to keep practicing and yes. doing that until you kind of build the new neurons that tell you that all the way as far as you went the, the you know the second or third time that's that's the new baseline that's the new benchmark yes. um, it's a very good question um, so I'm going to answer it in two different ways what we recommend doing is not stretching every day but doing something we call limbering every day which is what the dancers do and it's the, the, the modern term is mobilization or mobility work the brain is just a brain and the body combination is just a remarkable remarkable thing as soon as the brain senses that it has more range of movement it will use it it is amazing now of course if you don't ever turn your head to the side uh, for the next week or so that the effect the enhanced range of movement will last for a few days we found so the, the short story is if you use the range of movement within a week or so of gaining the new range of movement that will help the body to regard that as the new normal but if, uh, if for example I used to be able to sit in perfect size I don't know whether you've seen my book stretching and flexibility yes. but I, my brother's holding me up and I'm sitting between two blocks and I've got my bottom lower than my heel right and this is absolutely straight line now I can't do that today and the reason is that I just haven't done it if I want to get it back and I am working on it it'll take me about six months to get it back fully about six months work and, and the, the difficulty with, with the work that I'm doing at the moment is because I'm editing so much video and because I'm writing so much I'm actually stationary and being stationary is absolute hell as far as the body is concerned I mean people say well I've read articles in the New York Times saying sitting is the new smoking it's not as bad as that that's just ridiculous to make that assertion but but having said that maybe it's not as ridiculous as it sounds because it's just a different kind of problem uh, let me just try and illustrate what I mean here my flexibility is not normal for someone who's 62 or however old I am I realize it's not normal but it's it's it feels fantastic in my own body and, and I live in a body that feels graceful and moves gracefully most of the time and so I'm so I'm watching my my cohorts age and the aging that they're experiencing Marta is nothing more than the things they don't do and this is not obvious but and the, the work in fascial research has absolutely nailed this down over the last few years I, I know Robert Schleich quite well he's he runs the fascial research unit at Ulm University in Germany and he's a colleague and a rolfer like Thomas Schleip, Thomas Myers I should say um, the guy that wrote the book Anatomy Trains and they're two very you know, they stand head and shoulders above everyone else on, the, on, the, on that research stage there what happens if you don't use a range of movement firstly there's the neural dimension to it that's a very quick adaptation meaning it once that you if you turn your head to the right again you'll see that that range of movement is still there and it will persist at least today and probably tomorrow but and that's that is a brain property it's got nothing to do with sarcomeres ligaments fascia anything else nothing changed just by doing that simple exercise but just think about it the other way around if you don't use that range of movement for long enough then a more insidious more subtle and definitely longer lasting set of changes starts to occur in the body and what it is it's adhesions between adjacent layers of fascia or adjacent molecules of fascia and in time and I've seen x-rays that show this you know how this this area in the body here where most people hold a huge amount of tension if you don't stretch this area oh that's you is it yes. if, if you don't well, stretch, better, of course, oh, but, and, yes. another, and another point you can be very flexible in some parts of your body and be incredibly tight in others but look we'll talk about that in a moment totally yeah but if you don't stretch this part of your body 
In fact, this goes for any part of the body, but because of Western culture and because people hold a lot of tension in this area for all sorts of reasons we can go into if you want, I have seen what's called proto-bone formations in trapezius muscle and levator scapula, the one that runs from here down to the top of the shoulder blade, that place that everyone is tender. That is, there's been so little movement, the fascia is actually turning to bone in the muscle. And you can see this as dots or specks or clumps that are dead white in the x-ray, that's solid tissue. Now, does that mean, you know, once that starts happening, you're, you know, you're doomed forever? No. But, but you'll need somebody who's a deep tissue massage therapist plus a lot of additional movement in order to change that. And it's another crazy thing. The body will resorb bone if it's not necessary in, in the, in, with the addition of enough heat and enough movement. Look, how to, how to say this quickly. I had a guy come to me. He became one of my um, best students in years. But when he came to me, he was 57 years of age. And he had these x-rays with him, x-rays from two different x-ray um, clinics that clearly showed a bone spur on his ankle, at the front of the ankle joint between tibia and whatever the next bone is. I can never remember that anatomy. I think it's navicular. It doesn't matter. But a bone spur, a little lipping that you could see clearly on x-ray that wasn't normal and was actually making his ankle lock up from time to time. And this guy, when I looked at his body, uh, he had this, this absolute road map of veins around his calf muscles. And I said to him, what do you do? And he said, I'm a middle distance runner, recreational middle distance runner. And I said, and how much ankle flexibility do you have? And when I looked down at his, I'd asked him to take his shoes off. And this is a true story, Martha. I asked him to take his shoes off. He was standing on the ground in his bare feet and only the balls of his feet were in contact with the floor. His heels were just a tiny bit off the ground. And I said, can you put your heels on the ground? And he said, no. He said, I said very proudly, I'm a toe runner. So he runs on the balls of his feet all the time. And, that, that, you know, there's a lot of good reasons for doing that. But there are all sorts of downsides to it as well if you don't have the full range of movements. So anyway, cut a long story short, there's a, there's a machine in the gym called the seated calf race machine. And what you do, you pull a handle up and you, a weight comes down on your knee and you've got your toes up on blocks. And you can use that weight to help press the heels down and stretch the underlying calf muscle called soleus. And so I said to him, well, why don't you just do some of those and try the contractions when you're in the stretch position and see how you go. Well, this guy is an absolute fanatic. I should have realized he's a type AAA personality. So he, he was using the full weight stack within about a month. Anyway, this is the amazing part of the story. In three months, he had full ankle movement and full calf muscle movement. Now that's a remarkable change to make in the body. In fact, he became so flexible, he's actually the guy demonstrating front splits on the back of my book. He had the best front splits of any of the group and at that point he was 61, I think. Anyway, the point is this, three months or it might have been six months after he initially saw me for that consultation, he went back to the same doctors who'd recommended surgery for that bone spur and, they, and he asked them to re-x-ray the ankle and his ankle joint was completely normal, no spur. Now, our theory, this is just a supposition now, is that the additional new forces that he created by doing that new exercise simply drove those adaptation reactions in a different trajectory and the body restored the bone that it didn't need. Now, I mean, we don't, we don't have any other explanation. That may not be accurate. I don't know. But we do know that bone resorption, as it's called, does happen. Just as when disc material from inside the lumbar spine or the cervical spine extrudes, you have a disc extrusion event, that 
material very often can be resolved by the body too, given enough time. So the, the key thing here to remember is that what, what caused a new set of adaptation reactions to cut in was the additional addition of a new movement pattern. Everything in our bodies is simply a function of what we've done with our bodies in the past or, in this thread in the conversation, what we haven't done with our bodies in the past. And our position based on having, I've worked now with over 30,000 people in all the classes and all the workshop I've run around the world, and I've been keeping meticulous notes on what works and what doesn't work. We can say this with confidence. For the majority of individuals who have all sorts of daily aches and pains in their body, it isn't a question of becoming more flexible that is actually the most important thing. It's actually getting whatever flexibility you have to be roughly symmetrical left and right. That is far and away the most important thing. And my reason for saying that is I used to run an over 50s class as well at the university when we were there. And, what, and, and I was in a very difficult position once, this is about 10 or 15 years ago now, where I was recommending to people that they do stretching exercises to help them with their neck and back problem because that's after all what the book Overcome Neck and Back Pain, which I actually wrote while I was there, was recommending. But at the same time, teaching my advanced class, there were people in that group who had all sorts of neck and back problems that looked that came and went. You know, so acute onset, you know, out of action for a week, and then it'd get better by itself, and then it'd happen again sometime in the future. And at the same time, Marta, in my over 50s group, there were people who had no flexibility. We used to say they got the flexibility of a house brick, but they didn't have any of those problems. And I'm racking my brain, thinking, what, what's going on? One day, I mean, I'm a really slow learner, I think, but one day I was watching this group and I saw, and this absolutely changed our work, I saw that in the over 50s group, the people that had no problems in their bodies, even if they didn't have much flexibility, what they had was symmetrical. So rotation left and right, lateral flexion left and right, hamstrings the same left and right, even if they couldn't reach much beyond their, toe, their, their knees. And when I went back to the advanced class that same night and I looked at the people who were having the neck and back problems and their flexibility, although off the scale by the normal physiotherapy measurements for these things, they were, it was wildly asymmetric too. This incredible revelation because I hadn't read that anywhere, I hadn't seen it written down anywhere. So once we started moving, so for example, if, if you were doing one of our classes and you stretch your left hamstring and it's the tighter of the two and then you did your right one and it was a bit looser, we'd say straight away, go back and stretch the left one again or hip flexors or rotation or anything where there's a left-right dimension to it. And that became one of the things that we did. And over the years, the ensuing years, a huge fraction of people's daily life aches and pains just disappeared. And people would come to me in the middle of a semester. So our semesters were 14 weeks long, so they would have been doing the classes for you know six, seven or eight weeks, something like that. And they'd say, look, I didn't tell you this when I joined the class, but I had problem X or problem Y, it doesn't seem to be there anymore. Do you think it's anything to do with the stretching? Well, you know, <laughs> and seriously, Martha, 20 years ago, I didn't know that. And that's where the book came from. The book actually came from, well, the first book, I should say, it came from direct experience, not a theoretical perspective. It was the theoretical perspective I uncovered later. It's a most really amazing thing. So we just basically play with things and we keep changing things until we find something that's effective for the individual. So getting back to the yoga class that I was talking about before, 
in our class, in comparison to your yoga class, where if the teacher says, okay, everyone do Vata Konasana now, we might have three or four different exercises being done, which in previous classes we've given to people who can or can't do, or they've got some particular reason why they can't do the full pose, and they work on the partial poses, what we call the partial poses. And so that's something else that's, I think, unique to our system. We look at Let's say we're talking about a forward bend over two straight legs. In yoga, it's called Pashanottanasana. In, in gymnastics, it's called the pike. In dance, it's called the pike. Uh, in, diving, in diving, I should say, it's called the pike. And in dance, it's called just a forward bend because they're all so flexible. Um, but when we look at that pose, it, it, could be, it could be restrictions in the calf muscles that's holding up one person. It could be restrictions in piriformis, so some kind of entrapment of the sciatic nerve holding up the person who's sitting right next to them. It could be one hamstring, it could be another hamstring, it could be lower back, it could be anything in that chain of muscles and fascia between the back of the head and the tips of the toes. And so by the time we get to week seven or week eight and we say, okay, forward bend time, some people will go off and stretch their calf muscles, some will stretch piriformis, some will stretch the hamstring or one end of the hamstring because they've only got a problem at one end and not the other. But here's the beautiful thing. By that time, even though it's only seven or eight weeks, people already know their own bodies and they know what their body needs. This is, it's an amazing way of working. There's no, no recipe or cookie cutter approach in our system. Our whole system is targeted to what does your body need to unlock it? And it can be really surprising. I'll give you a good example. My partner, Olivia, is an ex-gymnast and she's very flexible, except in that exact exercise that I'm talking about, the forward bend over two straight legs. And so she loosened her calf muscles and that got her down a bit further. Her hamstrings were already very loose. But when she, and then one day she's in the pose, and I, I said to her, and I, again, I don't know where this inspiration came from, but I said to her, look, where do you feel the restriction is? And she said, look, that's, it, it feels like it's somewhere in my, in my lower back. And I said, but your lower back is completely straight. And she said, I'm, I'm just said, that's what it feels like. So I went over to her, and I just used my knuckles to do some deep tissue massage some in, in both longitudinally up and down the spine and across ways out from the spine. I'm not exaggerating, it was 30 seconds of fat, what we now call fascia release and she put her face on her shins. Everyone in class was just gobsmacked because she was literally this far away from her shin before. And she said, she just looked at me with amazement, she said, I've never been able to do that before. So again, for some people, it could be something totally, in our current way of thinking about these things, totally left field. It's not left field at all, of course, because the brain connects all the tissues in the body. And your restriction could be fascial, it could be ligamentous, it could be neural, it could be emotional. We have yeah, techniques and I mean, for all of these. Yeah, we're from top to bottom, basically. We are. So. We are. Yeah. How exciting is that, though? I mean, it's just, uh, uh, it's an amazing field to work in, I tell you. I'm, I'm probably even more excited about it these days than I was when I started to understand some of these things. Because our, our whole thing now is sharing this information with people as widely as possible. As you mentioned, we have 100, 100 and something clips on YouTube. We've got a Vimeo on demand channel, which is the next, that's where we're going to go next with our stuff. It's just the technology allows us now to actually be useful to a huge number of other people now, people we don't even know. That is, that's a wonderful thing, don't you think? Yeah, and I mean, even in my own stretch therapy practice, I've definitely noticed a difference. So, I mean, my neck and shoulders have definitely got to the point now of, 
of being more free and easy and it's not the tension is not a, an everyday issue that I'm struggling with. Um, have, you, have you done the jaw exercises? Well, I'll get to the jaw in a second because I know that's one of your favourite topics. So, but I just want to ask you one more thing before we move sure, on to sure. that. I do want you to just briefly talk a little bit more about the fact in everything that you just said, but to emphasise the fact that our bodies are what you call adaptation machines. You know, because they just they will adapt. So it's about finding out what your own issues are and keeping at it and just working at it so that ultimately we don't end up all, I don't know, all fused together and have limited mobility as we get older, which is one of my passions. It's always been in the forefront of my mind that I need to do all of the work up front with my body so that I still have a quality of life as I'm going down the path towards being more mature. Well, look, um, I live in a country area now, as you know, and sometimes we go into what we call go into town, we go into Nara, and we just sit there, have a coffee at a coffee shop and just watch people move around. And it actually doesn't matter whether we're talking about Nara or Sydney or Melbourne or anywhere. The vast majority of people move with difficulty and there is zero elegance or grace about the way they move. And just the thing that is always shocking to me is look at the tension in people's faces. The fact is, for whatever reason, and there are multiple, multiple reasons, most people experience their life as stressful these days. And tension in the body is the direct result of experiencing your life as stressful. And that tension in each of us has a particular pattern. So you have what I call your postural signature, I have my postural signature, the way we express ourselves, the way we manifest in the world, the way we communicate with people is a direct function of this postural signature. How do I hold my head on my shoulders? Am I relaxed? Am I tense? Do I look anxious? Do I project anxiety when I'm trying to ask somebody for something? Or am I relaxed and open? I mean, these are not trivial considerations. They are literally constitutive of the moment-to-moment -moment experience of daily life. Tremendously important things. So we say we start with unlocking the physical body. And the reason we do this is, and, and I, I need to make a little bit of a detour here, our medicine, Western medicine, divides the whole human being. Like for example, I see you, Marta, in front of me. You're a whole entity. There isn't a mind and a body that is a separate thing. However, our whole philosophical system, our system of logic, definitely our system of medicine, is based on the distinction between the mind and the body being a real and concrete thing. And as a result, we have two completely different streams of medicine. We have the stream of medicine that deals with the mental dimensions of being human. We have the streams of medicine that deal with the physical dimensions of being human. Now, we don't often talk about this, but let me just, just talk about this for a little bit. The distinction is not one that can be maintained the closer and closer you look into the system because in a very real and concrete way, the brain is everywhere in the body. The proprioceptive system is the extension of the brain spinal cord neural system proprioceptors in all the skin, the muscles, the, uh, the joints themselves, the body is aware of its position and its state of tension all the time. And in, in a similar way, this is not obvious, a, a guy that I know quite well wrote a book called The Body in the Mind. He's a logician, a very famous logician, and what he was able to show was the, the developmental experience of learning, for example, he talks about conceptual schema. His name is Mark Johnson, very brilliant guy. Um, 
that he talks about conceptual schema and there's only seven or eight conceptual schema these are things these if you like they're the furniture of our minds or to put it another way how we actually think so for example this is the containment schema we have something we have something wrapped around it so that thing is outside that that other thing we have the forward and backward schema we have the on top schema and the rest of them and all of our thinking is elaborations of those schema but at their heart at their base they are interactions with the physical world the, the knowledge that we can't go through things that we have to go over them or under them or around them people even something as abstract as an idea like the general agreement on tariff and trade I mean that's about as far away from you would think the body as possible all of the things that make up our ideas of groups organizations assemblies thinking about assemblies all of those things are physical metaphors at their very root and so Marx's position is that it, it, just as the mind is in the body everywhere, so too the body is in the mind everywhere. And it's so deeply embedded we simply can't see it. And so our position is this really exciting thing, I think, because for me, again, it's another liberating thing. Okay, people in the West don't like to talk about their relationship with their mother or their potty training or all the difficulties that they've had or, you know, all the things which actually in Reichian terms form the character armor which is their resistance to being supple and open and bendy they don't want to talk about those things and I'm I'm completely with them on, on that so what we and this is the beautiful thing about the work that we do is that we know that by doing sufficient amount of work on the physical body so that it becomes more supple more open more relaxed that all of those what we call mental directions in our or mental dimensions I should say in our being they are also changed we are actually giving ourselves more options by being more open not less as you become more flexible as an adult particularly and I should say as a little aside people who have been flexible from um, early years ch ch children or teenagers they don't actually experience this benefit at all because they became flexible while not yet conscious as if you become flexible as an adult consciously that is to say with awareness where you're actually taking note of the experience of becoming more flexible as it's happening to you it completely changes your it changes your rigidity into softness and openness in time and so I mean look, let me just talk from personal experience anger is an emotion that has been a deeply troubling thing for me and the people around me all of my life now at the stage of of life that I'm at and having had the experience that I have had in the past and I've done a lot of sitting meditation as well and a lot of lying meditation that's all played into them we can talk about that perhaps another time but I'm sufficiently aware most of the time not always when I'm tired or this this awareness that I'm talking about just vanishes it always does um, but if I'm awake enough and I and something happens in the external environment or, or a thought form comes along that triggers this response to anger or that I should say more succinctly more accurately the movement to anger I'm actually aware of my body organizing itself preparing itself preparing itself to be angry not yet angry this happens in a split second by the way but as soon as I feel that starting to happen if I'm awake enough I do this I just let my tummy, physical tummy, relax completely because you can't be angry without being tense. It's just not possible. And I take a breath in and I just 
pause with the breath in for a moment or two and no one even notices that I'm doing this by the way. It happens on workshops often and then I'll let the breath out and I have pivoted and I've got off the train well I'm using a bunch of different mixing my metaphors now I realize but instead of the body completing the movement to anger and expressing itself in my case with a sharp critical you know comment or whatever it has just simply gone. It has vanished. Now that's just for anger, is, as I said, is my particular problem. But for other people, it could be grief or depression, or it could be there's you know seven fundamental emotions, emotional responses which get manifested and reified and strengthened and all the rest of it. In each, each of us have one of these little things, right? Um, I'm just I can only speak from my own experience, but but becoming flexible as an adult has also helped a huge number of other people, and many many other people have spoken to me about this. If you can find the parts of your body which are locked up and you can unlock those locked up parts, I, I'm not exaggerating, it will change your life forever. It's impossible ahead of the experience of that, it's impossible to even project into a future that possibility because that's not your experience now. And you're correct in that and exactly as you said, for me the loosening of the neck and shoulders has also meant don't know if you could tell up to now, but I'm a bit of a control freak. Type no. A personality. <laughs> and, you know, so for me, this releasing of this tension has also meant learning how to not try to control every situation, learning more of that trust in the universe that I've done everything that I can and now I've just got to let it go because, you know, it's, it's out of my sphere of control, so to speak. But also, I mean, again, we could talk, go off on a tangent, talk about a million different things here, but part of that is just allowing to come back what it is that I've put out there, you know, get back what I've attracted, um, what I deserve, and ultimately everything does work out. I don't need to be so holding on to it and trying to control every aspect, but that's come from my own experience as well, which we won't go into now. But, uh, but you are 100% right in what you're saying. The big point that I want to try and get across in this, if I haven't already got it across, is by working on our physical bodies, or what is ostensibly just our physical body, we can change a huge range of other things which are not apparent to us in the process of changing the body. And so we like to say, okay, forget all that other stuff, forget the potty training and the relationship with your father or whatever it is. Let's just look, when you do this, when you get yourself into this position, what does that feel like? How can you make that more comfortable? How can you shift or dissolve that restriction? What technique can you use to actually change that experience in the moment? And that's what our stuff is, I think, particularly good at. Having said that, we're learning all the time. I attend other people's workshops as often as I can, and we have a team of creative people, and some of them you know. Um, Sheree and Dave, for example, from the Sydney Stretch Therapy Centre, Craig and Simon in Canberra, we have, we have attracted this amazing bunch of people around us and we feel, we feel that our work is set to transition into yet another new phase. We're, quite even, we're not even sure actually to be honest with you what it looks like and feels like but everyone has the same feeling. You know, probably we're just, we're just deeply deluded, that's, that's entirely possible. However, that's what we're doing and we're practicing and we are working towards it. So something will happen, but we're just not sure what. And that is what is impressive about stretch therapy is that you guys don't just rest on the laurels of we have 
a number of poses and this is what we teach and it just stays there. What you guys keep doing is keep developing, um, keep learning, keep exploring. So I, I give you a lot of uh, credit for that because that is what has attracted me to stretch therapy and what has kept me going as well. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to part one of our interview with Kit Lachlan. And make sure that you keep an eye out for part two coming up very soon.